This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's going on, everybody? And welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson with you. Very busy show coming up today. We're going to have Darren Bombing join us from Bombers Practice at IG Field in just a couple of minutes. And we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, CFL playoffs and a bunch of other fun topics. One of our favorites here, our guy Dustin Nielsen, who did such a great job of calling that Stamps Riders thriller on Sunday with the winner, the Saskatchewan. Rough Riders coming to Winnipeg to take on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. A lot to get to with the Winnipeg Jets coming off our conversation with Jeff Hamilton yesterday. Tons of feedback on that one. If you have missed it, we posted what ended up being like a 45-minute conversation with Hammer as a standalone on our YouTube channel. So if you haven't checked that, you can be sure to do that. Um, many Jet fans, maybe you, you weren't feeling talking about the hockey club yesterday coming out of Monday. Uh, but you're definitely going to want to check that out. Lots of interesting topics coming out of this slump right now for the Winnipeg Jets. As they were back on the practice ice today, kind of uh, an optional practice today. So we'll find out a little bit more on that, uh, as well as get Murata Chesh's thoughts on uh, the plight of the hockey club going into the weekend when they will be hosting the New Jersey Devils and the Toronto Maple Leafs. A big shout out to all of our great sponsors, including... An official WST welcome to our newest sponsor, F Apparel. I'll tell you more about the F Apparel guys and what they've got going on in a little bit. Of course, Vita Health, um, Vita Health Market, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Not Autocorp, Little Brown Jug. Had a great time down at Little Brown Jug this morning. We'll tell you about that a little bit later as well. Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, and of course, the Great Taste Canadian Club, and Cool Bet Canada. Um, for those of you watching on YouTube, you well, let's bring Michael Remus in here. Uh, for some reason, we've been having some issues, not necessarily internet issues, but connectivity issues between myself and Reams. So you might see me cutting in and out. I'm not sure. We might have to go to just a picture of me at some point because uh, the audio is great. Video has been a little bit choppy, but we'll do our best to get through the show uh, and have it entirely rectified tomorrow. Remo, what's going on other than th these issues we're dealing with? Yeah, I'm having an internal meltdown here. Uh, I'm trying to trying to keep it together. We've tried a lot. I don't know. I told you everyone's like, restart the router, unplug and plug in. We did that, and it made it worse. And now I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to fix everything I can do. Um, hopefully the audio stays fine. We had no problems, um, so we'll... We'll see. We'll see if we can get through this thing. That's all. What, That's all what, I got. Is the connectivity better right now on Winnipeg Sports Talk or the Jets Power Play? Where where where, where are we at? Are we in Jets Power Play area right now with the connectivity? <laughs> oh God. Um, I would think so. Yeah. I mean, we're just. I want to say we're just taking faraway shots that have no chance of of going in. But um, <laughs> I don't know. This I don't. I don't know what to do. Um, you got people messaging us. We're ready to go, but I don't. I don't know. This is this is horrible. So I'm. I'm it is pretty... what it is. For those of you listening on the podcast, don't worry about it. No big deal. The audio will be great. We'll continue to do that. But yes, we. Uh, if you are watching on YouTube right now and it seems a little choppy or uh, I'm not showing up properly, we do apologize. This is uh, as always. It has been a work in progress. Uh, although on my end, I have no idea because uh, this setup has not changed pretty much at all. 
And you would think now that we're both on the same companies of internet and the numbers seem to be good, we'd be all good. But unfortunately, that has not been the case so far. Uh, all that being said, we've got tons coming up uh, on the program. I'm really looking forward to chopping up with Murata Tesh. Make sure you check out his latest on the Winnipeg Jets in the pages of The Athletic. We will also, of course, be getting down to um, just Dustin Nielsen's thoughts on the playoffs in general, what it was like calling that thriller on the weekend. And uh, he, of course, is doing the East final, um, but I'm not sure if anyone for TSN covered and called more Western division games this year. It'll be interesting to get get his take on the Riders coming off that big emotional win at home coming here to Winnipeg to take on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But uh, a couple things we should get to right off the bat. Um, the uh, roster for Canada's national junior team was announced today. Um, Cole Perfetti on the squad. I don't think that's any surprise. Um, you know, Presuming that he will be allowed to go by the Winnipeg Jets, he'll be one of three returning players, I believe, and certainly will have a very good chance to be a go-to guy for Team Canada. But I have to admit, someone that's been following this incredible season for the Winnipeg Ice, it was a little surprising to see only Carson Lambos of the team. I uh, was nicked up right now, named to the, the roster. I mean, Matthew Savoy has had an unbelievable season so far. Connor McClellan, I thought was, uh, McClennan, I thought was in the mix. Um, but they weren't named to it today. So maybe that'll just make them that much more motivated to continue taking out opponent after opponent the way they've been running throughout this season as the number one team in the Canadian Hockey League. And uh, Remo, from a Jets perspective, I don't think it's any surprise, but um, you know, this is sort of, I think, what they had envisioned. Cole Perfetti getting a bunch of quality minutes in the American Hockey League, playing in all situations, playing against men, and then the dream of so many to win a gold medal at the World Juniors, and he'll get another crack at the WJC, presuming that he makes the team. And I think he's all but a shoe in to be on that club, especially the way that he's played so far for the Manitoba Moose. Get that tournament in, and then I think the team will kind of look to see where he's at as to whether he goes back to Manitoba or considering what we're seeing happen with the Jets right now, might there be an opportunity for you or maybe some of the other Moose to get a crack here in Olympic and try and turn things around. That won't happen for a while. Uh, but certainly no surprise, but a great day for Cole Perfetti, albeit not so much for the ice as I just ran down. Yeah, I think we were kind of expecting um, Connor McLennan maybe to be on. He was at the training camp earlier. Um, you know, nice to hear uh, Lambos name to the team drafted earlier. Um, as far as the Jets go, yeah, Cole Perfetti, I agree. That was the plan. Send him down to the Moose, have him, you know, play play well. And then, you know, he can make play for Team Canada. And, you know, maybe he can do the uh, the Cole Caulfield, like Caulfield did last year. Another Cole coming into the playoffs, scoring some goals. Now, obviously, it didn't work out great for him to start this year, going back down to the AHL. But I think, you know, maybe you'd think he can make an impact at some point. I, I have no idea. But I think going to the juniors is the plan. And another Jets uh, prospect, Chaz Lucius, he was drafted first round this year. He got named to a pre- preliminary roster for Team USA yesterday, so it seems like all of the rosters are coming out, or the invitees for the World Junior Camps, uh, Canada and U.S. The last two days. Yeah, so uh, the World Junior will uh, we'll have lots to talk about that in and around Christmas going forward. Maybe a little bit more from Calgary over the uh, well, once they get going, I believe on the ninth for training camp, a couple weeks to uh, figure out who will be on that final roster, and then dropping the puck and. Uh, on the televisions in front of millions and with fans back in the buildings this year, uh, with it being in Edmonton 
and coming up in Red Deer. So all that will be a topical go forward. Had to mention it right off the bat. Uh, but Remo, let me ask you this. What did you think when you heard the Jets did an optional practice today? Like, is that for real? Like, I can't believe that they're having an optional. Like, you think they'd be back um, practicing the power play? I I don't know. Like Two-a-days. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying two-a-days. I'm not saying bagscape, but, like, I guess it tells me that they think that there's no issues with the team. They're happy with the performance against Arizona. They're chalking it up to, uh, you know, playing in too many time zones playing at the end of it was just like a big long I know it was a home game Huss, but it was the first game after a long road trip which is basically like a road game so I guess they're chalking it up to extended fatigue and they'll you know they're using this time to rest and recover and be back and to, they'll be pummeling New Jersey no problem on Friday It'll, everything will be fine <laughs> Friday now with the with the time off I, that's what well, I, I'm would, taking from wouldn't that. That I don't know be nice you. wouldn't that be nice I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll be honest I was a little surprised I mean I you know after the day off yesterday I figured that they'd get back with maybe two not necessarily hard days of practice. I mean, considering everything the coach said about the wear and tear on the bodies through, you know, a pretty hectic part of the schedule. I know we joke about the time zones and how much they talk about it. I guess it is reality, but you know what? Your schedule is reality and you got to deal with that. And I'm not sure they've dealt with it very well, although it was quite taxing. Um, but when we talk about the issues on the special teams and whatnot, I mean, yeah, I kind of figured that there might be Quite a bit of practicing going into this week. But uh, you know, we'll hear from what Coach Paul Maurice had to say about this, uh, why they're going and doing that. The bottom line is whatever happens when it came to who practiced today and what we assume will be a full team practice tomorrow, um, this team is going to need to be ready to be a heck of a lot crisper, better on Friday night against the New Jersey Devils who come in. And then, of course, the game Sunday night against the Toronto Maple Leafs is a big game against one of the hottest teams in the National Hockey League. And, of course, it will be a special night in the arena as well as it'll be Blake Wheeler's 1,000th game. And you certainly would like to get a win on Friday, um, you know, to maybe change the tone around the fan base, which is anxious right now, which is a little bit depressed right now, and frankly, a little bit scared of the way these last couple of weeks have gone. Uh, because today, Remus, I don't know if you noticed, but after uh, everything went the opposite way of the way the Nets would want on the scoreboard last night, this team wakes up on the outside of a playoff spot. Now, of course, they're a playoff team for sure, right? Because they were in at American Thanksgiving, but we're only six days removed from American Thanksgiving, and now they're on the wrong side of things. Of course, I'm joking about that, but um, uh, you know, all the good things they did in that 9-3-3 three, and three start has pretty much evaporated over the past couple weeks, and um, they're right back in a dogfight without any real cushion, and in fact, as of this morning, with some ground to make up. Yeah, I mean, they had that hot start, had the great performance at home, and I agree, all, all evaporated. And you talk about the fan base. I mean, yesterday's conversation with Jeff, I don't think we've gotten that much positive feedback from a segment and number of YouTube comments, um, you know, from all you guys out there watching um, in a long time. Um, the comments are coming in. I think people, and we talked about it too, I think last week, you know, it was disappointing, but I think there was a lot of dis just straight disappointment um, from losing on that road trip, uh, you know, the game in Columbus. And, but I think it, you just had seen this too many times where they can't figure out how to, how to score. I don't know what it is. Like, you look at this team and the players that they have and the talent, and it's just puzzling that you that this power play could be so horrific against the worst penalty kill in the league on Monday. Uh, I think people have seen enough. I think some people are tired of... Um, you know, certain players getting 
ice time when this season when they haven't put up the results and other team players who have put up results maybe getting bumped down uh, the pecking order a little. So uh, I think people are, are frustrated. And, I mean, they better come out with a good performance against New Jersey. It's going to be tough. New Jersey lost last night to uh, uh, San Jose. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I see it in the chat. So it's nice to see the everyone's passion. That That is for sure. Well, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, I mean, you know, listen, I've got a lot of passion for this hockey team and this community. Uh, and and Jeff Hamilton had some great points yesterday, and we sort of went at it. So, again, I'll, I'll direct you back to that. If you go to the YouTube channel, it's posted separately, or go and check out yesterday's entire show if you missed it. Um, so we'll dive into all of this coming up with Murata Tesh a little bit later on in the program. First up, we are going to get to a Darren Bombing down at IG Field because... Number 33, Andrew Harris, back on the field today for the first time in over six weeks as a full participant in practice. That's very good news for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, but as we'll talk about with DB, quite a few Canadian running backs have made their mark this year. Three different guys with 100 yards so far. Johnny Augustine being the guy that finally got in in the final game of the regular season and balled out big time as the offensive player of the week or one of the players of the week in the Canadian Football League. So we'll do that in just a second. But first things first, uh, incredibly excited to welcome Andrew Parks and the gang at F Apparel to the family here at Winnipeg Sports Talk. Many of you are probably familiar with F Apparel. Um, custom suits for men, Winnipeg owned, and they've got a full line of custom clothing for pretty much any occasion. Suits, dress shirts, winter jackets, chinos, golf pants, they've got it all. Every guy right now needs at least one suit that fits and looks great. And if you're like me, we have not spent very much time getting dressed up over the course of the last two years. I'm not sure how everything fits, but the bottom line is if you need something new, get something custom at a great price Price with the folks over at F Apparel. Uh, they're the top choice in Winnipeg for wedding and grad suits as well. So if you have a big event coming up and you need to lead to look great, F Apparel is there for you. And of course, wedding parties get 15% off when the group buys their suits from us. And with the holidays coming right around the corner, and you know that, man, I probably need one of these suits and uh, someone special is looking for something great to get for you, uh, ask for an F gift card. Cards come in any denomination, and all gift card purchases of 150 or more come with a free tie. Find out more at fapparel.com or see them downtown in Winnipeg. Great to have the gang at F Apparel on board with us here at Winnipeg Sports Talk. And uh, listen, while you're trying to fit into that suit, you might want to uh, you might want to spend a little bit more time going down to Vita Health Fresh Market. Um, Vita Health has it all. They're the Winnipeg's best selection of the local organic, natural groceries, supplements, and beauty products, all at great prices with an amazing staff that'll help you get the right product for you. And as far as eating and maybe fitting into that suit or looking great in that suit, uh, they've got organic produce, local grass-fed meats, and maybe the best part about it, especially if you're single or on the go, a great grab-and-go deli with incredibly delicious and healthy Vita Market salads and sandwiches, all at great prices at any one of the seven Vita Health locations in Winnipeg. Family-owned for 85 years here, helping and empowering people to lead healthy lives. Seven locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge and online at MyVita. Dot ca and uh, we're also going to need to stay hydrated while we're looking good and trying to squeeze into that suit and when you think of water in winnipeg 
you think of the Culligan man. Of course, Culligan Water over at 1200 Sargent Avenue has been uh, quenching the thirst of Manitobans for 65 years. All family owned. Uh, they've got water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, home drinking water systems, citywide water delivery services to get you the jugs when you and your family need them. And if you need water for your business, Give the Culligan Man a call. They've got commercial and industrial water products and solutions for businesses of all side. If you need more information, just simply go to the internet at drinkculligan.com. Give Keenan and the gang at Culligan a call over at 1200 Sergeant Avenue, 204-694-5180. All right, more Jets talk coming up in a few minutes with Murata Tesh. But first up, let's head out to IG Field and hook up with Darren Bombing as the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are back on the practice field, getting ready for the West Final on Sunday afternoon in the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. DB, what's up? Great to have you back on the program. Good to be back, Hustler, and uh, what a time it is for Blue Bomber fans. Uh, anticipation is is pretty uh, pretty thick right now for uh, a fan base that has waited a long time just to see football, but to have a playoff game at home here at IG Field, it being a rivalry game against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and opportunity to punch a ticket to another Grey Cup for Winnipeg. Um, obviously, people are, are really looking forward to this game on Sunday. Well, you mentioned the waiting and the anticipation for the fan base. I imagine it's quite similar for the guys on the football team. I yeah. mean, you know, it was so crazy with a 14-game season that, you know, we've essentially known that December 5th was going to be here in Winnipeg and the Bombers would be one game away from going to the Grey Cup since mid-October. Uh, and I don't think anyone could have imagined a final month that was essentially just crossing your fingers that everyone comes out healthy and it's ready yeah. to go. But that is, in fact, where we are. That being said, uh, no one knew that it was going to be the Riders coming. Uh, an incredibly exciting second half. Not a very well-played first half, I will say, in that West semi uh, but it doesn't get much better than this. Uh, we know they're pushing 30,000 tickets right now. I imagine some of the braver members of the Rider Nation might be coming out west. And this really does shape up to be an incredible atmosphere. And one, frankly, that the CFL really needs right now. No question. Um, you know, as far as the it being the Riders and not the Stampeders, my CFL playoff bracket was busted last week. I had the Stampeders winning that game. But boy, like whether it was Bo Levi Mitchell or Cody Fajardo or, you know, whichever offense you want to uh, look at, uh, they were doing everything they could to lose that game. Uh, Jonathan Moxie with uh, three interceptions in the first quarter. Um, Ed Ganey with a couple in the first half for Saskatchewan. It seemed like that game was, um, it was almost like those two teams hadn't played a game in months just with the way execution was on the field. I think it was much more the offense uh, making mistakes than the defense going and making big plays, but they were there to make the play when, um, you know, the opportunity uh, presented itself. Um, as far as this game hustler, yeah, uh, approaching 30,000, I'm sure there's still three or 4,000 tickets left and whether rough rider fans who we know travel well, will make that pilgrimage East for this game. And uh, you know, a huge playoff tilt between Prairie rivals. We'll have to wait and see. The good news is, it's looking like weather better than anticipated a couple of weeks ago where they had said, you know, minus 20, a little bit of wind. It might not have been um, 
too hospitable, but looking a little bit better right now. I know that every day I've been here at the stadium over the last five, six days, there have been dozens of workers with shovels and brooms, salt and sand, ensuring that um, not just the walkways are clear of, of snow as we've got hit pretty good here in Southern Manitoba, but also all the seating areas and, and concession areas and everything. They're going to have this uh, stadium and the field itself in tip top shape, for the game. I think that's a great thing. And when it comes to anticipation, anticipation of the players, you know, the bombers lost their two ga- last two games of the regular season to Montreal and Calgary. They're looking forward. I'm sure to having the screws tight, um, you know, having the chin strap fully tightened uh, for no doubt a violent and uh, rivalry driven <laughs> game uh, with so much on the line on Sunday. Yeah, of course, we have a beautiful day in Winnipeg temperature-wise right now, above the freezing mark, a high probably of four degrees. We're not going to be getting there on the weekend, though. We are looking uh, right now, Environment Canada saying about a high of minus nine, 60% chance of flurries. And I'll tell you what, I think that's exactly the way the Bombers like it. They don't want it to be too nice for their opponents because we know this football team will be ready for whatever Mother Nature brings. Um, They're back on the field right now. It is practice week. It is playoff week. All eyes on Andrew Harris, who was back out there today. Um, it had been a long time. I saw your tweet. I mean, we knew he'd missed a few games. I didn't realize we were, you know, pushing well over six weeks since we'd seen him in the lineup, Darren. Yeah, October 15th. And I, I had to send out a correction, actually. It's 47 days as it stands today since Andrew Harris was injured in the second quarter uh, against uh, the Edmonton Elks and that touchdown uh, catch and run uh, he had to, to put the team up at that point and really ride to uh, another victory. Um, Last week, the Bombers got a couple practices in, or at least ones that they allowed us media uh, to, to have some eyes on. And it was a little bit concerning, I'll be honest. There was Andrew Harris in a parka and big clunky winter boots, nowhere looking nowhere near um, you know, somebody that uh, was getting close to uh, health and, and the ability to play. Uh, we know this. Michael Shea has stated that the plan that they had in place for Andrew is a long path and a long-standing one that they've had all the way back to mid-October. And I think the smart decision right now, you know, you can talk to Andrew Harris's age, how many games he's missed this season, being injured in training camp. Now, again, um, all lower body issues and, and no surprise there with, um, you know, somebody that uh, is, uh, you know, got as many yards as he does uh, in 10 plus years in professional football. Mm-hmm. Um, they're being extremely cautious and it makes sense. They have great contingency seeing Brady Oliveira back on the field today and taking part. Uh, he's been battling through uh, an ankle injury. I believe Johnny Augustine has been good to go. And he's also looked extremely good. Three different running backs behind this all-star laden blue bombers offensive line have had 100 yard rushing games this season. So be cautious with Andrew, um, you know, edge him up to see how close to 100% he can be for the West final. And they're hoping of Mm -hmm. course the 108th gray cup, Mm -hmm. but that's the, maybe uh, the most dangerous thing. The blue bombers have three extremely capable and frankly dangerous Mm -hmm. options to carry the football, all Canadians. So you don't have to mm-hmm. worry about adjusting the ratio if you go from one to two to three. Um, and I think right now you 
you know, uh, hope Andrew is good to go. You dress him for the West final. And uh, if you need to, you can rely on Brady Oliver. You can rely on Johnny Augustine, and you're probably going to get very similar production. Mm-hmm. And then you have mm-hmm. the opponent over there in the Rough Riders that have to break down film on three different tailbacks and three different ways that they're used. Throw in Nick Dembski and the way he's used as, uh, you know, the Canadian Swiss Army knife, as I like to call him. He, he's carrying the football uh, like a traditional tailback as well. Multiple is Buck Pierce's favorite word, and I think the biggest strength of this Blue Bombers offense. Well, and, and I mean, you mentioned the old line. I mean, we can't really talk about all the uh, production from uh, the running backs, whoever has been in, without talking about the old line because they have set the standard, and that is sort of foundation of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on the offensive side of the football. But just quickly, we haven't had a chance to talk about Johnny Augustine all season long, and I'll tell you what, Johnny showed that he is um he's maybe been a victim of circumstance here in winnipeg this year without the opportunity to get in the lineup you want to talk about making the most of an opportunity did he ever in that final regular season game against the stamps the blue bombers fans have been crying for 27 johnny augustine to get his opportunity frankly for months now i kind of refer to him as the winnipeg blue bombers nick patan not so much for the performance on the field but for the way fans crying for free you know, augustine free yeah augustine. exactly <laughs> free augustine and, and I've, I've actually seen that exact um hashtag on twitter as well but the difference is what Nick Patan wasn't able to produce, you know, in stops in Winnipeg and, and Toronto, um, Johnny Augustine, when given the opportunity, man, he runs so hard. You never see him go out of bounds. You always see him finish his run. The legs are always churning. He's got a great um, mentor in Andrew Harris to learn from as far as some of those tricks of the trade uh, in being a power running back. Johnny Augustine is not built like a power running back, um, but he definitely plays like one. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, again, multiples and, and the options the Blue Bombers have with Augustine, Oliveira and Harris uh, and, and Nick Dembski makes them so very dangerous, so very difficult uh, to scheme against because sometimes in the CFL, you'll see that backup running back come in. OK, he's in pass protection. Uh, you know, he, he's in, in the receiving game. He's not going to be used like the other tailbacks. Oh, no, not Winnipeg. They use everybody the exact same way. And, and that just makes opposing defenses have to be honest every single snap no matter who's on the field. Darren bombing a bonfire sports down at IG field, observing bombers practice. So uh, fill us in on what you saw and maybe a quick update on, you know, some of the players that had been rested or had been nicked up over the last few weeks of the season, in particular on the defensive side of the ball, Brandon Alexander and uh, Jackson Jeffcoat as well, who had been in and out of the lineup. Yeah, B.A., uh, Brandon Alexander, looks good to go. He's uh, been doing his work on special teams as well as with the first-team defense at safety. Uh, Jackson Jeffcoat returned to practice in the last few days. He made it clear to us, uh, you know, in speaking with him after practice late last week, that if they needed him to play, uh, in that regular season finale, he would have played, but they were cautious with him. They got lots of depth on that defensive line as well. So you let Jonathan Kongbo um, and, and Tiadric Hansen go at it. And, and, you know, Kongbo was excellent, um, you know, in that final stretch of the season when he was getting more work uh, in place of Jackson Jeffcoat and, and Willie Jefferson. But Jeffcoat, uh, good to go. I think he's taking the second half of practice this afternoon off, but no concern there. I'm sure he's fine and ready to go. Um, you know, we mentioned Andrew Harris uh, and uh, Brady Oliveira. Um, 
both of those guys had not practiced a lot. Uh, Harris, of course, going back to October, but um, Oliveira going back the last couple of weeks, um, he's on the field looking uh, good to go. You know, it's playoff time. We're not going to get any sort of indication um, or any sort of concrete, um, you know, word on any of these guys uh, from head coach Mike O'Shea. Um, every advantage you can uh, have as a head coach, as a football team, to keep your lineup and the health of your players, um, hmm. you know, close to the chest or close to the vest uh, with your cards, they're going to take that advantage. So, uh, but, but overall, I think the biggest concern for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers right now is the kicking game. The health is there. The, uh, you know, I have no doubt the mentality and, and the, the screws uh, when it comes to the psychology of this team, despite losing two games to finish the regular season, they're where they need to be. Uh, lots of work on kicking, the snapping, the holding, uh, and ensuring that, um, you know, whether it's Sergio Castillo or if they have to, I, I can only see injury getting in the way, but Mark Leggio um, field goal kicking, hmm. uh, they're working through all of that right now. I think that's the only area of anxiety the Blue Bombers might have right now. Everything looks tip-top shape uh, for this playoff run. Well, I, I'd imagine if the kicking game is going to factor in, if the Riders are going to have to put up some points, which they didn't do against the Blue Bombers in the Banjo Bowl or the Labor Day Classic without a touchdown in eight quarters of football, um, from a bomber perspective, um, you know, what what is the biggest concern for Saskatchewan? What do they have to be most ready for for a team that at timed offensively looked brutal against Calgary, but then late in the game you saw Cody Fajardo step up and completely erase his memory of all the bad plays and the picks that he'd thrown um and balled out with a pretty impressive game uh, drive to go up late in the game. Of course, Calgary tied it up and then we went to that very memorable overtime. To me, Hustler, the key matchup in this game is the Blue Bombers' defensive front against Saskatchewan's offensive front. Uh, Saskatchewan runs an RPO, or the run-pass option. Cody Fajardo was amongst the league leaders in the CFL, tailbacks included, uh, for rushing yards this season. He's not afraid to tuck the ball and run. They have a lot of different designed run plays or designed run-pass option plays um, in this Saskatchewan Rough Riders offensive system. They use him extremely effectively um, in, in so many different ways. they got a good tailback in William Powell. Obviously, all of those very talented receivers from uh, Shaq Evans to Duke Williams to uh, Kean Schaefer Baker and, and the rest in Saskatchewan. There's lots of options there. The Blue Bombers are known for putting good pressure on quarterbacks and being extremely defensively sound at the line of scrimmage and at the linebacker uh, level. So if Winnipeg is able to control and, and limit Cody Fajardo, be responsible, not over pursue either the ball carrier or the quarterback to ensure that, you know, some of that run pass option and that, um, well, you know, fake trickery and, and play action that uh, the Rough Riders like to do doesn't catch them. Uh, I think Winnipeg will be just fine. But uh, to me, uh, that battle at the line of scrimmage with Willie Jefferson and company uh, against Cody Fajardo's offense is, is the one area I think Saskatchewan has to be the most concerned. And I think the one area that may, if they can win it, uh, can uh, go the Saskatchewan Rough Riders way. But uh, it's going to be a heck of a battle. I know that. Hey, Darren, while we've got you, any thoughts on the East final? Who do you think will be uh, representing the other division and will it be the Ticats playing a home game? 
Well, I was wrong in the the West semifinal. I was correct in the East semi. I I, I do like the Hamilton Tiger Cats uh, to punch their ticket. So we get a Grey Cup rematch, uh, and the Tiger Cats will be on home field at Tim Hortons uh, on December twelfth. Um, you know, it's going to come down to Ryan Dinwiddie being a rookie head coach. They have tons of talent in Toronto. They have the ability uh, to win football games really in in all three phases. Um, I would say especially offensively, defensively, they got just so many playmakers back there. They can really turn the tides uh, when it comes to takeaways very quickly. Um, But to me, I think Hamilton has kind of been on that gradual, steady incline over the home stretch of the season here. They did not start the season well at all. They played much better as the season went on. And when you got two options in Jeremiah Mazzoli and uh, Dane Evans uh, at quarterback for Hamilton, um, you know, if things aren't going your way, you got a very competent uh, number two to step in there. But, um, you know, the run game, I think, is going to be important for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. If they can establish that and get some uh, a little bit more uh, space for Brandon Banks and company uh, to, to make some things happen, Jalen Acklin as well, uh, I think that's the, the path to success for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I think the Tabbies are going to be able to go into Toronto, capture a win, and uh, get on home field. That opportunity to play a Grey Cup on home field, um, I, I think, uh, should not be overlooked. Uh, that's a huge cookie and a little bit of extra uh, to that $16,000 bonus check the Ticats could get if they win this game and and get to the Grey Cup. Well, the pressure getting to the Grey Cup has been a big story around the Hamilton Tiger pretty much the entire year so far, and uh, it certainly will continue to be as they go into the Argos, who won the opportunity to host this game with the win over the Ticats a couple weeks ago. Uh, Darren, by the way, love the new bonfire hat you're rocking today. Fill us in on uh, the bonfire schedule, of course, coming up with Chris Walby heading into the West Final and what you've got coming up next week in Grey Cup Week as you're going to be heading out to Hamilton earlier in the week. Yeah, Walby and I got a great show lined up. We're going to record it Saturday and have it available for Bomber fans first thing Sunday morning ahead of the West Final. And then I think the thing people, um, you know, I I want people to know the most is that Nick Kowalski, uh, if you follow him on Twitter, you see his work on sports interaction and with Derek Taylor uh, and the like, extremely sharp, young football mind. And uh, he's going to be coming to Grey Cup with me. We're going to be pumping up the content like crazy from Hamilton all week long. We're going to be every where that uh, things are happening in the hammer. And um, yeah, I just say, keep it locked to bonfire sports. And well, here's another thing, Hustler. I might have a pair of tickets to Sunday's West final here at IG field. So keep it locked to our social media and you might uh, get uh, two primo tickets for the game on Sunday. You know where to follow him, folks, at Darren Bombing with an I and uh, Bonfire Sports as well. And do yourself a favor, hit the subscribe button on the Bonfire YouTube channel and don't miss him getting together before the West final with the one and only Chris Walby. Darren, back to practice for you. Looking forward to the content after the players speak later on this afternoon. Thanks as always for doing this. We'll catch up soon. Always good, Hustler. It's going to be a fun week here. All right, good stuff with DB from Bomber Practice with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Um, Hey, I want to give a shout out to our friends at Manitoba Battery. December is here. Sledding season is upon us. And if you need a battery for any type of sled, Donnie, the maestro, the godfather, all the gang over at Manitoba Battery on Logan Avenue have your hookup. Most sled batteries in the range of $65 to $75. And when it comes to batteries for your vehicle, you know it's going to get cold. You may very well need one. Get proactive. Don't wait till it's minus 35 and you realize you're screwed. 
Get one now for the best price in town at Manitoba Battery, $89.50. Picked up at 1026 Logan with Core Exchange. Best price in town. Don't waste your time going to Costco or any of the big box stores. Support local and get the best price in town at Manitoba Battery. Again, 1026 Logan. And find out more on batteries for literally everything in store at ManitobaBattery.com. Uh, big uh, shout out to our friends at Royal Sports. I know Royal is busy getting ready for the weekend. A uh, couple big jet games. I know there's going to be a lot of new jerseys and Jets gear under the Christmas tree this year for so many fans. And when it comes to Bomber fans, the blue and gold will be in full effect Sunday afternoon. But if you do need some Bomber gear, especially maybe a toque for the conditions on Sunday afternoon at the West Final, one stop and one stop only you need to make, and that's Royal Sports at 750 Pembina Highway. Much more than just Jets and Bomber gear, though. They've got everything from the National Football League, Major League Baseball, the NBA, and teams around the National Hockey League, not to mention a great selection of international soccer gear and Canada soccer as well, which I know will be a hot gift item for the holidays with all the excitement of both our men's and women's teams out there, the hockey superstore snowboarding gear as well. And all that cool stuff on the King skate snow and surf side as well. Pop down and see them Royal sports with us from day one on Winnipeg sports talk at seven 50 Pemina highway. I bumped into uh, my pal, Trevor, not from not auto corp uh, over at my favorite spot cells in the morning after we were over at little Brown jug. Trev and the gang at not so fired up for this game. Uh, but they're also making a lot of Winnipeggers very happy with amazing deals on incredible vehicles. So why not get into the car of your dreams with the help of the not team over Waverly and McGilvery? You can pop down and see all the incredible vehicles on the lot. Or if there's something specific you're looking for, let them know and they'll help you find it at a great price. And of course, the Winnipeg Car Lab is open. Why not get in the lab out the vehicle maybe you need a wrap for your business they do it all down at not autocorp find out more on the car lab and everything going on at not online at not.ca and a very special happy anniversary to our friends over at little brown jug remus and i if you check our social media today and that of little brown jug over at, at lbj brewing I uh, got a chance to sit down with the owner, Kevin Selch, today, talking about the five-year anniversary of Little Brown Jug, having a big party on Friday from 6 until midnight over at the Tap Room on William Avenue. Might be a great spot to start off before the Winnipeg Jet game or pop by afterwards as it's very close to our downtown arena. And when you're there, you'll want to try the five-year anniversary brew, the Brute IPA, which is available Got a chance to try it today. Oh, man, it's great stuff. A celebratory beer brewed for Little Brown Jug's fifth anniversary, a champagne-like extra dry IPA with flavors of citrus and stone fruit. The Brute IPA, incredible gift boxes available that they'll curate or you can create yourself, done up very nicely and delivered around. Uh, when it comes for the holidays, for the beer lover and the family, why not get a taste of uh, Winnipeg's finest, brewed right here in the peg and that of course is little brown jug all the details on what they've got going on for the holidays merchandise the new beer and five years is all up at littlebrownjug.ca and of course you can order and we'll have a little special bit on little brown jug on friday's edition of the show heading in to the weekend all right let's get remus back in here marotta tesh is going to join us in a few minutes 
Um, we appreciate all the suggestions. I'm not sure whether some of you were just trying to trigger Reem, who I don't think could have been triggered anymore by the internet issues earlier on. But uh, early results are, Remus, we're making some progress on the technological issues that were somewhat of a problem this week and earlier today. Yeah, I think if you you know if you don't unplug and replug your router in once, do it like two or three times because third times <laughs> third times a charm here, and it appears to be working better than it has all week. So I have I have no explanation for any of this other than I'm very happy that we can uh, we can hear you now, and it's not uh, a bunch of digital artifacts, and we can see you, and you're not going blurry every two seconds. This is fantastic. Sorry to everyone on the on the podcast who had to deal with that. Well, and and certainly, and I'll give a sorry to our friends at F Apparel. If our first ever read for them was all mumbled and jumbled by uh, technology issues, I uh, can't tell you, we're super fired up to have Andrew and the gang over at F Apparel on board with us. We'll be looking good for 2022. And of course, if you're looking at, we'll tell you much more about it as we get closer to the holidays, but gift cards available and you can find it more F Apparel, E-P-H apparel.com online. So before we get to Marat, who will join us in just a couple of minutes, I couldn't help but laughing at seeing the uh, the latest edition of the ESPN Power Rankings are out. Yeah, are we still paying attention to those? I thought we thought said those were trash, or were they actually well, indicative I, of the future? <laughs> this well, hopefully these are all on a time delay, or yeah, maybe they are future rankings. So two weeks ago, when the Jets were rolling when they'd just beaten the number one team in the rankings, the Edmonton Oilers, when they were first place in the Central, they were somehow ranked 20th in the league and 5th in the division. And, of course, everyone said this is a joke, went nuts. Um, and maybe Kristen Shelton and her team were uh, looking into the crystal ball because basically since that came out, the Jets have played more like a 20th-ranked team or maybe worse over the course of this real tough sked that has really drifted back to that second game against the Edmonton Oilers. So fast forward to today, we wake up, the Jets are out of the playoff line, really struggling to score goals, coming off that one nothing loss to the Arizona Coyotes. They were in 20th at this point. They were 20th the last time we checked in on this. Well, the Jets now, through a miserable two weeks, have in fact <laughs> raised up to 11th. Uh, the, uh, and it's, it, it is strange because for all the things that we said that didn't make sense the last time when they were ranked so low, I'll be honest, it doesn't make a lot of sense that they're ranking this high. Although I think there'll be less fans outraged on, uh, on social media at Kristen and the ESPN folks of where they are. Um, but the jets find themselves right, uh, behind the New York Rangers who have a points percentage of 725. And the Jets, with only three points of a possible 14 in their final in their last seven games, have now dropped down to a points percentage of 545. Um, you know, they're ahead of the Ducks at 587, the Golden Knights, the St. Louis Blues, the Columbus Blue Jackets, who just beat them quite soundly last week, the Boston Bruins, the Pittsburgh Penguins, who beat the Jets last week. And oh, don't look now. But the New Jersey Devils are the 18th team. And they're at a 550 points percentage, and they're coming into town. Uh, I just figured I'd bring this up because it was quite funny because for as mad as everyone was about the 20th ranking when they were on fire and playing great and at the top, this probably makes equally little sense that uh, they're not actually around where they originally suggested for them right now. Hopefully, in a couple of weeks, we'll be talking about a team that's been on a tear and won seven of eight. 
and uh, is now back at 22nd on the ESPN power roll because it seems like there's a correlation between playing well, you go down, play bad, you go up. And uh, that's where we are right now. No rhyme or reason to this one, Remo, but it was funny to bring up on the show. Well, it's funny. Like We would never pay attention to this, really. I mean, if you want the real power rankings, I guess look at the standings, right? I mean, this is a kind <laughs> yeah, of fun ex- point. exercise. But yeah, I mean, we were laughing. Like, Why are they ranked... 20th when they had just beat Edmonton and now they're 11th after having a terrible week and averaging a goal per game um, including you know losing getting shut not only losing but getting shut out to the Arizona Coyotes I mean doesn't get any worse worse than that so uh, there they are 11th sure and you know and teams who have better points percentage than them are ranked after so I, I there's no explanation maybe we should have Maybe I should text Christian Schultz and be like, what's what's going on here? How do you guys what's, put these together? There's, it's the crystal ball. Uh, somebody in yeah. chat, I think it was Waiters. Wonder, oh, yeah, Waiters. Does ESPN have a DeLorean right now? Um, well, you know what? God knows we've needed some positivity around this team for the last little while. Maybe of all people, it's ESPN delivering the positivity. Despite what's happened, Jets still a good hockey team. Well, we'll see whether we will uh, get that from the hockey club when they uh, – are back on the ice tomorrow. Again, optional practice today. Um, tomorrow will be, I think, more of a full team unit. I would imagine special teams, in particular, the power play, will be a real focus. I and mean, what are we at right now, Remus? Two for the last 34 right now. Um, and I know we've talked a lot about the PK, um, and it has been an issue certainly during this stretch, back to the Vancouver game with those two goals. But, I mean, I really think of maybe the key, the start of this power play drought that has been so painful that's led to what's going on for the past few weeks was three and a half minutes of four-on-three power play in overtime with the Oilers two weeks ago tomorrow that sort of started. And since that point, and the Jets lost that extra point that I think was right there for the taking, uh, nothing's gone well for the power play, but there was never a more glaring example of that than the third period on Monday where they basically spent about half the period with the man advantage and had nothing to show for it. It's kind of funny because you look at the last couple of games here, they've had an extended power play against Edmonton in overtime at four on three. You had the five-minute power play against Calgary after the Lucic uh, game misconduct, and then on yesterday you had the you know the four-minute power play in the third period, among other power plays, and you couldn't score on any of those. And uh, yeah, seemingly yeah, that would have been the start. But I mean, look at all these this stretch here where yeah, two for thirty-four. Uh, thank you, Ken, for including that in your uh, Sportsnet.ca column. Uh, two for thirty-four stretch. I mean, and one of those what was the Dubois one at the end of the the blowout? So. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. You have to think that the chances are, or they're going to come as you keep getting shots. But I mean, you saw the 46 shots. I mean, how many of them are from, from distance with nobody in front to either screen or get a rebound? Well, and, and that was what was the most concerning about the third period against the Coyotes. I mean, power play after power play that really was not generating. I mean, I think I went and as per natural stat trick, uh, you know, in nine minutes or so of power play or just under in that third period, a single high danger scoring chance. I mean, you would expect far more than that playing at five on five. So uh, we'll ask Murat about it as well as a number of things he's got in uh, his latest piece up at The Athletic covering the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, let's do it right now. Welcome in the uh, one of the, the, our favorites and certainly the favorites of Winnipeg Jet fans. Maybe he can talk us off the ledge, put some sense into these conversations. 
or maybe he'll just pour gas on the fire. Let's see right now. Welcome to the program. A belated happy birthday as well to the birthday boy who was fed it across social media by so many yesterday. What's going on? How are you? Hey, I'm doing just fine. Happy to have successfully aged another year. Happy to be here as well. Glad you're part of my life. So, uh, yeah, let's do this. What do you want? What do we want? Well, we want to win on Friday night, to be honest. That's that, that, That's where I'd like to start, to, to be frank. I mean, uh, I mean, what did you make of Monday? Let's just talk about Monday's game for a minute because it was so strange. I mean, you're a guy that deals a lot in analytics and a lot in numbers. And if you did not see anything of the game and just went and fired up natural stat trick and took a look at the shot share and chances and all those things, you would have thought, well, how in this world did this game go the way that it did? But I mean, to me, it was a bit of a different look if you were in the building or watching the game on television uh, because as we've known, all shots were not created equal. And the Winnipeg Jets just seem to be having a hell of a time earning the ice and the space to um, be in the spot where you score goals last night. I mean, what did you think about Monday? I thought it was the least dominant 46 to 15 shot clock game you will ever see <laughs> in your life. I I know that they they took a lot of shots. I know... I can I can think of Blake Wheeler. I think it hits the goalie's shoulder, then the top of the net, and it just bounces over. I can think of that first shift in the in the third period with Connor Shifley and Wheeler, where it, it looked like they could score. But you look at that sheer volume of shots, the shot attempts, all that sort of stuff, and those were the only moments where I really, truly, sincerely believed that the Jets had a goal in them. You know, Arizona parked the bus. Sure, they didn't generate themselves. Sure. But I didn't believe, because like you say, I mean, you look at the numbers, it says one thing, but games have feels too, right? Like, I mean, that game had this sensation that Winnipeg wasn't, they were all over the zone, but they were on the perimeter of the zone and they weren't getting to the blue paint and they weren't getting to the middle of the ice outside of a couple of chances. And I think that, I think that getting goalied by the Arizona Coyotes, a team whose goalie doesn't have a headshot on his NHL.com page is the sort of thing worthy of criticism, no matter how many shots you get. Um, absolutely. Um, what, what it, just while we're talking about Monday, because I think we'll take it from this, and you know, they've got a couple days off, I practice tomorrow, game, big game on Friday, hoping to change the, the, the mood around the city, heading into a big game for the team and their captain on Sunday night when Blake Wheeler plays 1,000. Um, You've spent a lot of time asking Paul Maurice questions after games. What did you think about his uh, answers and his demeanor after one of probably the most frustrating nights of his coaching career? And that's a long one uh, on Monday at Canada Life Center. Yeah, there's one thing about it I really like and then one thing that I don't. So uh, let's start with, uh, with, with the positives. Uh, the thing that I liked was that he doesn't have a sky is falling approach to the team right now. And I know they've lost five of six. I know they got blown up by Minnesota. And I know that they got, in my mind, embarrassed by the Arizona Coyotes the other night. But on the whole of it, on the real sum aggregate total of it, they're a pretty good five-on-five team most of the time. They have their mistakes. They have their issues getting to the middle of the ice at certain times. But it's night and day compared to last year. The problems they have now are better problems to have. I was going to call them good. I don't think that they're they're great problems. But like they're in the zone 
struggling to get to those dangerous areas and finish right now. They're sometimes, maybe not as well against Arizona, but sometimes they're in the middle of the zone, getting the chances and not finishing them. A year ago when the Jets lost seven in a row, they didn't have the privilege of figuring that stuff out because they were so buried in their own zone. They were so pushed around at five on five that they weren't even able to get the puck in transition, going the right way to get in that situation. And that was a sky is falling moment. Those Jets were playing poorly in a way that, you know, I think was worthy of fervent, fervent criticism. I don't see that. I just see the frustration now that's built in because they're losing a lot. And so Paul Maurice not taking a sky is falling approach. I respected that because they've been over this stretch, you know, a solid five on five team power plays, let them down. Definitely is. It has shorthanded, let them down most of the season. It's been good for a couple of games now. Um, so that's what I liked. The thing that I didn't like was that he's talking about a day of rest being really important and vital for the team right now. And he was suggesting that today we would find out, or over the next couple of days after that game, we would find out who's, you know, bangs and bruises needed a little bit of extra rest. And certainly they had a day off, then an optional. He's talking about all the, you know, we're hearing about time zones again from the Jets and we're all, all of that sort of stuff. Talking about fatigue against the Arizona Coyotes on a night when his top line plays 22 minutes and his fourth line plays four. So the sheer contrast between what you offer as an explanation, admitting that, you know, what he says to us may not be what he says in the room and how the lines were actually deployed. It seemed like a desperate team turning it into a top nine game, not getting the results and then sort of blaming fatigue that was inevitable for not getting those results. I just didn't like that as an explanation, especially given the way the minutes were doled out. It, it made no sense. And I thought, well, we talked about a number of things yesterday, kind of still somewhat bent from walking out of that arena on Monday night, uh, as one would imagine. But you just nailed it. I mean, for a, a group, and, and to be honest, I thought the fourth line did a lot of good things when they were out there. Now, granted, part of it was the amount of power play time that the team had, especially in that third period. And yes, they're down a goal, and yes, they need one. But, I mean, you're going up against a glorified American Hockey League team that was doing absolutely nothing in the other way. Um it seemed like they were almost trying to, I don't know, it was the square peg round hole analogy at some point. I mean, just trying to keep on pushing the same thing over and over again um, with the same lack of success. Um, I, I was not critical of Maurice for the way he changed the lines over the course of that Los Angeles game. I figured, you know, there are times and places where, you know, you shake things up, you get the blender out, and, you know, you see if you can get a little bit of a different look. Now, again, it was Dylan DeMello shorthanded that ended up scoring that goal. I mean, I don't think it really was a direct correlation of any of the line changes, but whatever. At some point, you know, you do a few things, you get the win, and then they went in and played very well against Edmonton. And, I mean, I know a lot of people were freaking out that Svechnikov wasn't playing with Dubois and Connor, but I think there was a lot of things to like from that. Um, from there, though, we've seen the law of diminishing returns in a big, big way, Marat, and considering the way that hockey game was going and the amount of things that were technically going right, but the lack of success and, and real legitimate grade A scoring chances, in my opinion, I was surprised that there wasn't some more changes. Were you at all in that game, even though they were thoroughly dominating the game in just about every category that we look at? Well, I'll, I'll get this out of the way first and foremost. I'm not a big fan of Kyle Connor, Mark Scheifele, and Blake Wheeler as a line. And the reason that I'm not a fan is really results-based. 
including their big game against Calgary. They've been outscored 48 to 43 at five on five over the last three years. That is not Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand. That's not Crosby and Malkin. This is not a top line of dominance. This is not the nuclear option, but it gets treated like one. We discuss it like one. It's it's supposed to be you go to that group because you need the win. And some of those goal-based numbers are going to look worse than maybe the line would be because the defense was such a mess over these last few years. Like That's part of it, to be sure. But if they are your number one option, they should be able to overcome that to a certain degree, should they not? And when you see them get stagnant, it's because they cycle on the wall and never find that route into the middle. And I think that worked a little bit when Shifley and Wheeler were the absolute dominating drivers of that line. But now that Connor is the most effective offensive player as he's been this season, you know, I think he would benefit from a different style than that grinding perimeter game. Um, and I, I liked him with Pierre-Luc Dubois. So that's that's my preface, is that I don't, I don't think of them as the nuclear option. At the same time, when Winnipeg had every excuse to phone it in, going down two goals early against Calgary after it had gone down two goals early against Minnesota, it was that line that drove the comeback. And it was Kyle Connor, I thought, who really drove the comeback. It seemed like every rebound, every battle, he was in it on the offensive zone. He decided he wanted to get the puck back, so he did, and then they scored. So I have a lot of time for that. And then the one time, like I say, against Arizona, where I thought Winnipeg may actually break that goose egg against the goalie whose name I cannot pronounce, it was that line as well. So right now, this group that I don't look to as the default number one line might be a good group to keep together because at least you can point to them getting those kinds of chances. Well, I'll say this. I think we could definitely say that about Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor with whoever was on their line, to be honest. I mean, last week we got into it and I said, hey, to me, everything's on the table with the exception of one thing, splitting those two guys up because I thought they were playing so well together. And to be honest, I know a lot of people you know, talk about Svechnikov. I think there's probably half a dozen guys on this team you could stick on that wing if Dubois and Connor are playing the way that they had and have been playing and see some very positive results. And, you know, maybe who goes on that line is it dependent on, you know, what you want to do with the other lines. But it's hard to argue after what we saw just over the course of this last week, Marat, that where things are at right now with the lines has benefited the team and benefited some of the players that were actually going quite well. A couple of the guys that haven't been going quite well that maybe are part of this is Nikolai Ehlers and Mark Shifley. And I know there's been tons of oxygen taken up on Blake Wheeler. We spent a lot of time talking about him, but let's talk about Shifley for a minute. Hammer and I went down a number of roads with, with Shife, but just your comment, I mean, he's got two goals through 16 games. I mean, you just mentioned it. He played four minutes more than Pierre-Luc Dubois, at least two minutes more on the power play on Monday without much to show for it. And as you mentioned in your latest column at The Athletic, I mean, he's essentially, I mean, slowly but surely, I think playing himself off of this Olympic team if he even thought that he was on it in the first place. What's up with Mark Shifley? I think that Mark Shifley has mostly played well offensively without getting the results or becoming dominant. So Mark Shifley has been a point-per-game player for five years in running, heading into this season. His offensive qualities are known. You can point to, if you got the mental reel of multiple chances over the last week where he gets set up in the slot, somebody kicks out a toe and, and he gets stoned from in close. So I'm not personally worried about Mark Shifley scoring. I, I really am not, despite the fact that we're used to this guy taking over games, whether it's at the power on the power play or at even strength 
offensively, he should be one of the the league's you know top ten, top fifteen players. He's been that before, and I believe he'll be that again. Um, I think the issue though is that upon not scoring, and upon perhaps seeing Pierre Luc Dubois really drive, um, and sort of being forced into this extended slump, you're starting to see Mark Scheifele's bad habits come out. And whereas I thought early on in the season, you know, he was talking about, hey, if you back check 200 feet every single time, good things will eventually happen. I thought you could point to a lot of good stuff on that front, especially in the offensive zone. His stick is great. He knocks down a lot of plays. But in the last week or so, you've seen that one extra, not a shift, but a shift within a shift. He, he's been on the ice for 45 seconds. The puck's going in the offensive direction. He stays on for a little bit more. That's a bad habit, and that's something we've seen from Shifley before. We've seen him get benched for it. These are the things that like creep into his game. There's the goal against Minnesota. I think it was the fourth one where you know he's net front. He's got that covered off. Um, Brendan Dillon makes a curious read to, to sort of approach the point. But Shifley has the, the the net front covered off and sees Dylan in front of him. So if you see a, center, a defenseman in front of you, you got your other defenseman with you. Abandoning the net front is a curious decision, even if the puck's going in the right direction. And Winnipeg gets burnt. These are things that are supposed to be gone from Mark Shifley's game. These are the things that with the Olympics as a carrot at the end of this year or towards the end of this year, you don't want to see from that player anymore because we all know Team Canada is stacked. Like, even on an offensive basis, he's in tough um, with the quality of players that Team Canada has. If you look back to Team Canada's men's Olympic 2014 gold medal, I have never in my life seen a team protect the puck, support the puck, have every single puck carrier in all three zones always have at least two options. I've never seen a team do it better than that one did. And I'm not sure if that's the archetype that this year's version wants to go with. That's a bunch of years ago now it'll have been eight when the when the tournament happens but i don't see mark shifley playing that game i see him leaning offensively before the battle is won and not providing that extra option and sort of heading north um anticipating that offense that will come you can trust in that but i think it's getting hard on these guys because they're losing and he's not scoring yeah well i I think you make some great points and um, you know maybe everything gets magnified in a big way when you're going through struggles as a team the way they are scoring goals uh, but for a guy that has been so successful scoring and putting up that offense, um, the shaking up of the lines, the trying everything, and the amount of time on the power play, which we'll get to in a minute with the lack of success, incredibly concerning. As far as lines go, um, and again, we don't have much from today because it was an optional practice. I imagine tomorrow will tell us much more about what the coaches have been meeting about and trying to instill in the club the way things will look going forward. Um, but you know, if it's up to you, and I know you pulled your readers on this, where do you go line-wise? And I'll put it straight up to you. Who's the first center over the boards when uh, this game drops the puck on Friday night? Is it Mark Scheifele or is it Pierre-Luc Dubois? Well, I'll answer that one first because to me it's the easiest one. That's Pierre-Luc Dubois. He's the one that's driving right now. He's producing right now. And he's imposing his will on games. His size and strength are an issue for teams. His speed is an issue for teams. Even when separated from Kyle Connor, you can sort of see him put defenders on his hip or on his back. And um, I think he's a dangerous player. So for me, um, Mark Scheifele has been the number one center in terms of how many minutes he gets, even at five on five. Pierre-Luc Dubois has been the number one center in terms of his performance early on in that season, in this season. And I think that losing five and six, I think, you know, you can put away the getting guys going card a little bit and just go to who is going and lean on them as, as much as possible, I think is, is how I would approach this situation. Um, in terms of the lines as well, you know what? I, 
really did not mind uh, Lowry, Shifley, and Wheeler as as a, as a trio. I thought that when Shifley had Lowry covering him off down low at times, that was a really solid group in all three zones, even if it's not a like a, a blazing fast line, even though they didn't score. They controlled the flow of play, which I still believe matters whether you're finishing or not, because with those players, especially Mark Shifley, I believe that they will. I absolutely believe that they will. Um, but at the same time, if you run a line like that, then maybe you're promoting Nick Ehlers, who isn't going right now either, and he may have a hamstring issue and all this sort of stuff. Um, you know, I I really think that the answer is probably more Pierre-Luc Dubois, more Kyle Connor, and let the chips fall where they may, because those guys are genuinely going. Well, I, I agree 100% with you on that. And, you know, the last time we spoke, we were talking about Ehlers and where he's been shooting, where his chances are, and just how, which is, to be honest, has been very similar to, you know, a big picture look of Monday's game where, yeah, getting a bunch of shots and they're all from, you know, another area code. I mean, nothing's close to the net. Nothing is where, um, you know, you're going to have rebounds. The players haven't been in there to get rebounds and maybe a dirty goal. But it does seem like there's some pretty, some struggles from Ehlers that we haven't really seen over the last couple of years. And you mentioned the potential that he's dealing with something. Um, overall, what do you make of Ehlers game? And and if you're Coach Paul Maurice and you believe that, you know, I know we're talking about getting Wheeler going and getting Mark Shifley going. I would argue that getting Nikolai Ehlers going is as important as any of the other players on the roster that aren't going right now. What's the best route for that when we get to this weekend's games? Well, I think it depends on what the truth is at the heart of Ehlers' struggles. Because to me, he doesn't look as fast as we're used to seeing him. He doesn't look as dominant. He's certainly not scoring as much. He's certainly not getting to the middle of the ice as, as much as you'd like him to with that shot of his. Um, this is a guy that has outscored every other Winnipeg Jet at five on five per minute for multiple years. So the idea that he's not going and unlike where you can point to Shifley getting robbed, I'm not sure I'm seeing that Ehlers robbery of, of late. I don't know that he's getting into those situations. So that's an issue. It's an absolutely an issue. If the heart of it is, in fact, an injury, then you spread out those minutes and you reduce his uh, and accept that he's not going to take over games for a while, I, I, I think. Um, if the heart of it is anything else, if this is just a guy not going right now, well, then what what can you do to actually give him, I guess, put him in good situations? Cop Stastny Ehlers has been particularly effective at various stretches this year and last. Um, and I think that that works because he's so covered off defensively. Um, and Andrew Cop has such a good read of his teammates in terms of where to put pucks to make them effective as well that I think that that's kind of a... a an instant chemistry option if you if you wanted to go to it. If you did that, you could run Connor um, Connor Dubois and your choice of Wheeler or Svechnikov on that other line as well and, and have some options. But you know what that takes is demoting Mark Shifley, and I'm not sure that Winnipeg has the appetite for that for a guy that is that much of a cornerstone of their of their team. So the answer is, I guess I don't know. With a with a with a hint of it depends. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> You know, someone said that you should be a carpenter because you're hitting the nail on the head today, Marat. Um, oh. As as uh, and the, the whole Ehlers thing is, um, and you know, he's playing on that third line right now. He played about 15 minutes in the game before. Um, and, and I'm a person that does understand that I think that there's something to be said for sort of earning that opportunity and playing well and getting to that point. But it does really seem like there's a complete double standard right now. And I think that is at the root of a lot of the frustration and a lot of the rancor, you know, you hear for the coaching staff and, and so much more on uh, as we go through. 
special teams has been a massive part of this. And we've been talking about the penalty kill for the better part of this season so far. But this power play right now is absolutely killing them. And, uh, you know, for all the things that people didn't like on Monday night, um, there was nothing that was more damning for, I think, the players and the coaching staff as well as to how that power play Conduct, you know, conducted themselves and and did and didn't do things in that third period right now. This is an absolute mess. Um, and it doesn't make sense when you think, I mean, it's not like they're missing half the guys that are normally out there. They've got everybody. They've got a better defense score they've had. Connor Hellebuck continues to put Vesna goal, goaltending night in and night out. How devastating has it been with the power play and what the heck needs to happen to turn this around in your mind? Yeah, it absolutely has been devastating because like I said earlier, the team's pretty good at five on five, which is a good thing. That's the sort of thing you can build a winner from. But special teams are costing them so many goals that points in the standings are being kind of lit on fire. And when Blake Wheeler gets high sticked and is bleeding, has that cut, like that looked pretty painful in the post game, I got to say, on his cheek. Um, and Winnipeg gets a four minute power play. And you're like, oh, okay, third period, big guns. Here we go. Pull the rabbit from the hat. Hellbuck kept you mostly in it. Well, I guess not in this particular case. That's just a, a memory that I have burned into me. Um, but you have the opportunity. I, I believed that, you know, this is the moment. And then I believe it's Shifley who takes the draw. Don't quote me on that. But Winnipeg loses the initial draw, gets sent the other way. They try the entry. The one-man zone entry machine, Nick Ehlers, gets denied. Goes back the other way. Another entry attempt. I believe they go offside. And then it's their third swing at it, if you add it all up, that actually gets them inside the zone. So I think 45 seconds I'd noted had gone by before they'd even gotten in the zone established on this four-minute power play. Then you get in the zone, and it's take the pass, dust it off, look around, make the pass. Guy who receives it, takes the pass, dusts it off, looks around. This is not the symptom of a power play that's working right now. And I think the only looks that really worked were when Nate Schmidt just looked one way past the other Josh Morrissey's shot. And it wasn't a goal. It wasn't the greatest version of that opportunity ever. But the reason it actually looked like it might score was because he was assertive and actually did the thing instead of sizing up the whole zone. And I think Paul Marie spoke to that a little bit, that when you see guys take time, when things aren't moving quickly, that's when power plays go like get start to look particularly bad. And I agree with that. And if you're not getting into the zone with regularity... If you're not moving the puck quickly, if the shot that you get at the end of it isn't that dangerous because you didn't move the puck quickly, you're not going to have a good time. Like, I thought that the first time that they went back to, you know, Shifley in the slot, Wheeler feeding him from the half wall, he got a couple of chances. I think it was one five-bell chance. Uh, was it against Minnesota and another against Calgary? But I can I can see that pass coming up to Shifley and him getting robbed. And I'm like, okay, that's great. That's a look that you like, but they're not scoring. And then they look as bad as they did at a critical juncture as they did. That's a problem. What can you possibly do to make it better? I don't know. Um, traditionally, the answer is more Ehlers, but he hasn't looked that good there. Um, does Blake Wheeler go to a, a different side so that the guys on Winnipeg's at the top of the circles are both shooting options open to their one-timer? Um, do we get Kyle Connor and Nick Ehlers feeding each other? What role does Shifley play? I haven't I haven't sorted it out because I, I haven't been used to the idea of them struggling this badly. It's looked genuinely bad. Well, it, it certainly has. And, you know, we've seen, you know, a few different looks, a few different combinations. But, I mean, I just go back to last year and I remember our conversations at the end of the season where it was kind of exciting for Jet fans to see for the first time some real, like, legitimate competition 
between those two units where you've got Ehlers on one and Shifley on the other, and it was that second unit that was scoring at maybe a better rate, um, and it was really pushing the other ones right now. I mean, man, even when there was the six on four on 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 Monday, Marat, you're getting all the guys out there, and it just seemed like nobody had any confidence. They there you mentioned about doing things quickly and instinctive. I mean, it was the exact opposite right now. And I don't want to say they were skating in quicksand. I know there's been a lot of talk about time zones and how much they played. I mean, the schedule is the schedule. You're playing against the 31st ranked power play in the National Hockey League. You're down one nothing. And you have essentially half of the third period to do something with a man advantage and nothing happens. Um, that 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 I, I you'd have to think that, you know, even if they weren't full out practicing today, you'd have meetings, you'd have a ton of video. And I would imagine tomorrow will be a big, big moment for um, the Jets preparatory wise to get ready to try to erase that come Friday night against the New Jersey Devils. I mean, it's got to be front of mind, right? When the five-on-five game is mostly good and special teams cost you like a goal differential per game or whatever we're at at this stage, like Winnipeg setting standings points on fire by not having them picked up. Um, And we know that that makes an impact on the end-of-season standings. If you look at the penalty kill alone, they're on pace to give up enough goals to be the difference between first in the central and outside the playoffs. That'll get better. But if the power play doesn't get better, then there's there's an issue as well. That's got to be number one. And Winnipeg's going through it right now. I mean, I wonder if Jamie Compon being distant from the team as he deals with that important family matter with the, the health of his wife and all of this sort of stuff plays a role if you're if you're doing if the leader of this group is doing things by video. But that's really just I mean, it makes sense to me, but that's speculation as well, because, I mean, Paul Maurice is an experienced NHL coach. Whatever issues that they're having with their entries, with their execution, he should be able to to handle that as well. So maybe that's not I, I, I put that out there as food for thought. I'm not sure. Um, but it's got to be number one on the to fix list right now, because most of the other aspects are pretty OK. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, you, you bring that up and listen, I you know there's always people calling for the coach uh, in and around here. And I haven't had a lot of time for that. I mean, I figured that and God knows we had enough conversations about the way the team was structured, what they did well, what they didn't, what needed to change. But going into this season, it seemed like all of those excuses were done. The defense is as good as it's ever been, or at least since, you know, they went to the, the, the Western Conference final and then Bufflin left. The goaltending is as good as it's ever been, if not better. I mean, Connor Hellebuck has been absolutely brilliant this year, and they're wasting some incredible performances by him. Um, And the power play and the penalty kill are where they are. To me, those are the things that puts the most heat on a coaching staff, not to mention building up these losses, especially in regulation and seeing your place fall down to the point where you're on the outside of you know, the playoff spot looking in. I mean, we haven't talked a lot about this before, but what do you make? How much pressure is there on the head coach of this hockey team going into, I'm not going to say Friday night or this weekend, but this next stretch, I mean, over the course of the month of December to get this thing turned around and, you know, put us in a spot where we kind of remember how freaked out people were at the end of November. Uh, because honestly, Marat, if this continues to go in one direction, some sort of change needs to happen. And I mean, there's a number of ones that can that can take place. But we all know pro sports, maybe not as much here in Winnipeg as other places, but the coach is often the one that takes the heat and takes the bullet when things need to get uh, shaken up. Yeah, somebody who works in an analytics department in the NHL who I trust once told me that coaching has the biggest impact on special teams. And 
the idea that Winnipeg's shot quality on special teams is poor right now does reflect poorly on the coaches. Absolutely, that it does. Um, every time they lose, I see the the mentions being like they've quit playing on the coach. I don't believe that. I don't see that. I see the effort. I I, I think that the people who drive the bus at the Winnipeg Jets still follow you know Paul Maurice on, on that front. I don't think that that's uh, the issue. Um, but you know what? The the other day, somebody responded to one of my tweets about the game with, you know what Winnipeg might be doing right now is wasting Carey Price. You, like the reference there being Montreal was a horrid team for a long time at a time where Carey Price was the best goaltender on the planet. And, you know, prime years of this this guy were just not really taken advantage of. Or you might think of, you know, say Connor McDavid on his entry-level contract in, in Edmonton, pardon me, which was the most cap-efficient contract you've ever seen and they couldn't build a team around him. Is that what's happening with Connor Hellebuck right now? I don't quite believe it because I think the team is built pretty well. Like I say, I still think it's a pretty good team. Um, can you blame the coach for not getting more out of it? Well, special teams continue to be an issue. Absolutely, you can. Absolutely, you can. I, I think you got to credit him for some of the improvement at five on five. Um, that if you don't like the lines, then maybe you're looking at it as the roster improved with the team and they succeed in spite uh, of him as well. But I like the systemic changes too. I like the way they've taken advantage of their better five on five team. The one thing is though, you look around the league and people get fired for less struggle, right? This idea that he's in his ninth year and um, can, can look at last year's seven game losing streak or this uh, five and six, or you look at the playoff results with the two series wins in this, in this stretch of time, you know, you can make a viable argument that the team could go further or that, you know, he has not had success to warrant this kind of invulnerability, and then the last thing I'll say, this is just a series of thoughts. I don't think there's one thesis point of it being like, yes, he should be under pressure or no, he shouldn't. But when I spoke to Mark Chipman, as I did about a month ago, for what ended up being a horribly timed delivery of a piece, but it was a really thoughtful, articulate, intelligent piece where he's talking about the value he puts in, in Paul Maurice as a person. Um, one of the things he said was on day one, when they met, you know, they were talking about how important continuity was. You know, Mark Chipman believes in continuity and the value of that. And I think that it's for that reason that you're not going to see Paul Maurice just fired because they're losing right now. If ever there's that change, it'll be a concerted discussion, uh, a agreement by all parties, and they'll find, you know, he'll 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 have a good opportunity coming out of that, whether here, elsewhere, or what have you. I think that they'll be so conscientious because of the interpersonal relationships that that they do have. Well, and, you know, something I brought up yesterday that, I mean, like a year or two ago, I mean, the thought of, like, Mark Shifley was untouchable for this club. He's on an eight-year deal. I mean, it's a very team-friendly contract um, that, you know, I think they had planned. I mean, for crying out loud, Paul Maurice was talking about building a statue of the guy outside the arena afterwards. That that not, the construction has not started yet on that one, shall we say. <laughs> That might have um, been the moment he cursed him, just for the record, if you're well, looking for a touchstone. Yeah, just like the wave in Calgary at 2-2 on Saturday <laughs> night. Um, but 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 I'll say this, um, you know, when we see what's happened with Shifley over the last few years, um, coming out, really, I mean, the high point of his entire career, that incredible playoff run with 14 goals in 17 games, and some of the things we still continue to talk about, the trade for Pierre-Luc Dubois looking long-term, knowing that this contract ends, and you talked about it. You've got a really interesting piece on projecting the Jets lineup years in advance. Um, you know, if it's not going to be the coach, you know, at what point does the general manager consider some, you know, real significant shakeup of the forward group? And I brought this up to, to Hammer, and I, I've thought about this before, but didn't really bring it up publicly because I thought it was so far out of this realm of reality. 
But at this point with what's happening and knowing how valuable Shifley is, that contract is production with two years left. I mean, you're not just trading that guy and not getting anything back. Um, you know, I, I do wonder if, you know, in a month, if this team is still mired in this and they don't want to make any sort of move with the coach, they still feel that they've got the right guy. If all of a sudden the general manager doesn't start thinking about doing something that might include what would have previously been unthinkable here in Winnipeg. You know, that would be earth shattering. It would be era defining. I thought the Patrick Liney for Pierre-Luc Dubois trade really did shift eras uh, for, for this team. And you start to look long term and everything works if Mark Shifley and Pierre-Luc Dubois both excel. Uh, you know, Shifley's contract, like you mentioned, is team friendly. And for as long as it is, as long as he can outperform that, you've got a competitive advantage over a lot of other teams, especially depending on what Pierre-Luc Dubois gets this summer. Um, and I think that maybe for that reason, you look to see if you're the Winnipeg Jets, I think that you look to see what Shifley can do provided with another crack at the playoffs. I don't think that you make your earth shattering move. And I'm just thinking aloud on this idea in the middle of a season, especially because it's such a cap advantageous contract. If you're on LTIR and any trade you make has to be dollar out for dollar in, even if you can line up this you know, I don't know. I will call it Shifley for Couturier to incense the fan base kind of deal, right? Like, <laughs> um, then you have to make the dollars work. And I don't know that you can do that yeah. in season for, say, the trade deadline or something like that. So I think that it continues to be, you know, Shifley's team in that regard. And you continue to look for him to be that guy that that can make all of those things happen. But if you are the Winnipeg Jets, you're also, you're, you're not a foolish group. You, you, you see that he is an amazing all-world top 10 offensive player and not that, like, defensively impact-wise, he's all right. He's sometimes not that great. And that's not maybe a player that you look to give that $9, $10 million deal and build around for several years in his late 20s and early 30s, in my opinion. So maybe you're onto something. I haven't thought too much about what that trade would look like, but I have time for it. Well, and again, you know, there's a couple more years left, but, you know, those are the sort of conversations we'll have a little bit more if there's never any movement you know, come on the coaching side. And I'm not here beating the drum for that, but I guess I think it's quite obvious when you see a team with this much talent that looked the way they did at the start of the season, playing the way they have lately with the struggles that they've had in so many aspects of the game. Some of the things that we never talked about or frankly even thought about all of a sudden are going to be brought up on shows like this. Marat, always appreciate your time. Belated happy birthday to you. Enjoy the day and uh, we'll look forward to catching up next week. And of course, maybe at the games on the weekend. Love it. Thank you so much, Us There he is, at WPG Marat. Marat Atesh of The Athletic joining us. Big shout-out to Darb Yor. Darb pops in with a nice super chat for the boys. Howdy, all. Been off the grid for a bit and just popped in. I see that knives are out, eh? When the Bombers are done, the Jets will wake back up. I know because my alien pals told me so. Well, I'll tell you what. They need to wake up before the Bombers are finished because I think everyone hopes the Bombers will be finished late night maybe into the wee hours of the 13th of December, celebrating another great cup. We're going to talk about that in just a second and much more with our pal, Dustin Nielsen. I do want to thank our friends at Princess Auto for their support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Of course, our curling reports. Uh, big event coming up to DeKalb and Morris on the weekend. Uh, but last week, it was all about the Princess Auto teams. Uh, great stuff from Mike McEwen and Reed Carruthers and their squad and Team McEwen. And, of course, Princess Auto, proud sponsors of the Queen, the GOAT, going back to the Olympics, the one and only Jennifer Jones. 
Princess Auto, of course, is the place where you'll find the best deals and the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto, where they're all about making sure you have what you need to keep the work going. Shop all the great deals 24 hours a day at princessauto.com or come see them at one of their two Winnipeg locations right here in the city of Winnipeg. Uh, busy night at Boston Pizza last night. I actually went to BP after the game, shaking my head, walking out of the arena. I then got into BP, saddled up to watch the end of the Monday Nighter. Always a great spot to watch sports on the big screen. WFT came through and what actually ended up being a quite exciting game. That salvaged one of our best bets with our next guest from the lock shop on the, uh, on the weekend. Of course, Boston Pizza, the place to go for the game. Ice cold schooners, great pizzas, Boston wings, and more. And if you want to order it in at home, hit them up online at bostonpizza.com or call your local BP location. And a big thanks to our friends at the Nick and Nikki DQ group as well. You know them well. They've been with us from day one here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Four locations in Winnipeg and southern Manitoba, including the DQ in Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's making people in St. Patel very happy that the DQ St. Anne's now being run by Nick and Nikki is open year round, 12 months a year. And they're also on skip the dishes and Uber eats. If you want a great taste of the blizzard, maybe a uh, new steakhouse burger, chicken fingers, whatever you can get it delivered right to you without even leaving at home. And of course, if you need a cake, hit them up on line at Instagram DQ Manitoba. They'll get it done ready for you to pick up at your local Nick and Nikki DQ. All right. Uh, let's move on to a more positive topic. And that, of course, is the Bombers, the CFL playoffs. And my pal Dustin Nielsen coming off an absolutely thrilling call of I, I can't believe it was your first playoff game. What a what a way to wet your whistle into the world of playoff football. Um, I'll tell you what, in all sincerity, I know you're a pal. So many people both online and here in the chat giving you props for the game. And uh, tell you what, the game gave you quite a bit to get excited about as well. And uh, and you should have been damn excited. That was some incredible drama between the Stamps and the Riders. <laughs> everything. That game had everything, buddy. It was... Um, they, it, oh, so I'm leaving... Uh, the radio station after my show yesterday, I'm talking to Low Tide, and Low Tide goes to me, and he kind of hit home because it was my first playoff game, like you mentioned. He goes, you might never call a game like that ever again. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I've already beat. It's uh, it's game one. So that was – but, I mean, three – two players combining for five interceptions in the first half of a football game. I don't know if that's happened anywhere ever, which is just insane. We had a kick off the upright. We had a missed field goal that was returned for a touchdown called back on a weak call. Uh, probably shouldn't have flagged that shouldn't have been thrown. Then the same guy goes and does it later on a punt return anyway. And Jamal Morrow, that Cody Fajardo, who threw four interceptions, actually won and covered in this game, ends up having – you know, an amazing drive when he needed it the most. And then Rene Paredes, who missed four field goals all year, misses three in the same game, including one in overtime. It was, it had everything, man. It was an unbelievable, we had an ejection at halftime. Everything that you could have in a CFL game outside of the game being one on a rouge, you could have, uh, you had in that game. It was, it was nuts. I loved it. I was losing my mind. We weren't far off from the, from the, uh, the game winning rouge, to be perfectly honest. Let's talk about Fajardo for a minute because, I mean, I was flying for the first half, so I missed the first three picks. Um, early on, looked a little shaky. We saw Calgary come back. But by far, I mean, my memory of the game 
was just how nails he was down four late in the fourth quarter. And, you know, credit where credit is due. You can stink for 55 minutes, but if you come out there and are literally able to completely forget about that, tell yourself that you're Tom Brady um, and go out and move the football right now, you'll be dangerous. And I think from a bomber perspective, I mean, I think the bombers are better than them in just about every aspect of the game. But I'll tell you what, the quarterback can make such a difference. And uh, I don't know what happened to Cody Fajardo late in that fourth quarter, but he was absolutely nails when his team needed it. It was it was pretty impressive. Like he threw his fourth interception of the game with his team down one with like seven and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. And when that happened, I know I was thinking, I was like, oh, that might be it. Like he's throwing four picks. That one's a backbreaker. Um, and then, you know, they, they held Calgary to a field goal. So they're only down four instead of, you know, if they punch it in, it's probably a little bit of a different story, but then he steps out on the field and I don't even think I'm exaggerating, exaggerating when I say this and, and riders fans will probably back me up on it, but that last drive that he put together might've been their most efficient offensive drive that they had since they went up. Remember they're up like 21, nothing on BC in the first half of week one. Oh, yes. And then they almost blew it. Like that first half of the season, they marched down the field like three times, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Ever since then, it's kind of been a little herky-jerky. And Fajardo goes out, it's just like, boom, Duke Williams, done. Boom, Duke Williams, done. Run for one. He threw Roberson, the one where he kind of faked it, and Roberson jumped, and Fajardo ran for the first down, mixed in Paul McRoberts, and then before you know it, he's punching it in for the touchdown. And there was no stress. Like, there was no stress on that drive. They really weren't in many tough spots. So that kind of came out of nowhere. I was pretty impressed. And, if I mean, if Cody Fajardo is going to build on anything heading into a game against the Bombers, a team that has literally, you know, shut them down offensively in both of the matchups this season. Um, you know, maybe he can look at that drive and he probably mm. doesn't want to throw that often to Shaq Evans anymore. Like Shaq Evans, two of the balls in that game were targeted towards him. And I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he just didn't want to go get it or, or what was going on, but I thought he could have, probably made a little bit of a better effort on two of those Roberson picks. So I know Cody said that their timing has been a bit off since, and Shaq's come back from an injury. So it's probably not overly fair to criticize him. Like, but he's played six games now. So he's, a, he, he was one of the best receivers in the league in 2019. So maybe the injury's still lingering a little bit and he does have Duke Williams now, but um, yeah, that was, that was incredible. My, uh, my guy Isha boy, Bruce in the uh, chat mentioning another cool part of it was just the fact that it was brothers going head to head and coaching. And one of the, I, I don't cool know when too. you went down that huge list of everything. I mean, I kind of get my stuff down. I'm like, I know what the score is. I'm ready for the second half An onside kick, a successful <laughs> onside kick to start the second half. And I mean, I think you said, it. I'm like, what is going on? But I'll tell oh. you what, credit to Craig Dickinson for identifying the fact that, you know, with the penalties that Lemon picked up with the ejection, it was it was a very, very smart risk to make. And uh, I'll tell you what, getting that and going up was a big part. Credit to Calgary for coming back. It was just one yeah. of the many chapters of an up and down period. But, uh, you know, it brings me to the West final. And I mean, I think the Bombers offensively are better. Defensively, they're better. Um, but special teams, we don't talk enough about it, and it can be a huge tipping point in games, especially come playoff time. And I'll tell you what, Craig Dickinson has a pretty good handle of that. Not that Mike O'Shea doesn't, but we have been talking about kicking issues right now for the Bombers, and hopefully Sergio Castillo is better. But listen, if Calgary, if the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are going to win this football game, which I think most would agree is a long shot, they're a big, big underdog, Doing something special in the special team side yeah. of the games is mandatory for Saskatchewan. And uh, they certainly got that done in the West Semi. 
Yeah, you know, and they might have to pull something off like that again. The so they get that they get the penalty. It's twenty five yards. They'll be tacked on on the kick. And we're thinking, well, they'll just take the penalty, back them up, take the kick, and have pretty good field position. And then when I saw them line up, I mean, and you're right, so many crazy things that already happened in that game. I was like, oh, and now they're going to try an onside kick to start the second half because <laughs> why wouldn't they? And who ends up getting it? Duke, Duke Williams, who caught three onside kicks the other way, he goes up to get it, and A.C. Leonard, the defensive end, comes up over top and grabs and hauls it in, and then they march down and score. So, you know, the Riders are going to need a couple of things in significant fashion to go their way in that game. I honestly believe that. Um, but we saw their and we saw their defense make plays. I mean, in this game against Calgary, Ed Gainey came up with a couple of big plays. They do have some guys that can get to the quarterback. I but I mean Calgary's offensive line and Bull gets rid of the ball pretty quick. Like they didn't really give him an opportunity to do that in that game. So defense and special teams is probably where it's going to have to get done for the riders. If they're going to keep it close and possibly pull off what would be, I think a significant upset. Um, but you know, Dickinson had comes from a special teams background, right? So he might've had that play in his pocket for six years. And I right at the end of the game, he went over to talk to his brother and I, th- I didn't pick up all of it, but I think they were talking about the play at <laughs> half. And I just think for his parent, their parents to be watching and watching that game. Like I almost passed out in the booth. I can't imagine their parents watching that game at home was their two like two kids go head to head. It was it was insane. Speaking of passing out in the booth, did they have like oxygen for you at some point? Uh, it probably would have been necessary with the. Uh, with just how many crazy things and just how excited and how much fun you were having doing the game. If it was at a higher altitude, I would have needed I would have needed some oxygen, buddy. It's just that uh, it's just that simple. So, so yeah, yeah, I think you guys are in for a good one this week. Now, um, we're going to be doing the lock shop, by the way. I'll plug that tomorrow. If you want to see the uh, latest episode where we talk about the playoff games in the CFL, the Thursday nighter, uh, some hockey, which has already taken place, but specifically the football, uh, that's up there. If you're listening to the podcast, search lock shop. We'll be doing our program for the weekend in the NFL tomorrow because of you, of course you're leaving a little early because um, for the first time in a while, you're not out here in the West. They're heading you out East for the Thai cats and Argos. I imagine a little more prep for this game, considering how much time you spent in the West, but and certainly between the two games. I mean, I think they like to put you in these thrillers, Dusty, because of how jacked up you get for it. I mean, this one to me really is a pick em, Although I am nervous. I picked the Thai cats with you on the lock shop and, yeah. Everyone seems to be on the tie cats, and you know what happens when that <laughs> That's happens. That's not good for us and, usually, buddy. And we That's, saw it. We yeah. saw it a few weeks ago. Um, I mean, just early on, what do you make of this matchup between uh, these two great rivals in the East? You know, I I will quickly say uh, it's been a great run in the West. And uh, I'm a little bit sad to not be able to just see how it ends with the Bombers and the Riders. It'll be great. But, you know, in the overall thought process here... Ticats Argos should probably come down to a better finish. Like, I think this is going to be a pretty evenly matched game. Um, and to me, it all comes down to what Toronto's able to do against that Ticats front. Like, Montreal dominated possession early in that game against Hamilton. And then what happened? I mean, Dylan Wynn, Jagarit Davis, Hauser, these guys ended up getting to Trevor Harris and causing some issues. So I think, I think the Ticats, I've said it multiple times, basically, anytime we talk about the Ticats on the lock shop, and we talk about their defense. The Bombers have had this defense that's been up here for the majority of the year. The Ticats is about here, and then everybody else is kind of down here defensively. So, uh, you know, Mazzoli's been kind of hit and miss this year, and I know they've got Dane Evans, and I think Don Jackson in the run game has been a nice addition 
to the um, to the Ticats offense. And they do have some weapons offensively, but I think this game comes down to what Toronto is able to do offensively um, and what what MBT can do against that front four, even the front seven for the for the Ticats, because I, I think those guys can can change the game as a group. In some ways, they're getting another crack at it because, I mean, I know we had a great conversation with uh, Marshall Ferguson going into the Argo Ticat game was two, three weeks ago. And I mean, he had said, you know, the pressure of hosting the Grey Cup had been around this team really since the beginning of the season. They came in as the favorites. They came out to Winnipeg, got a touchdown on the first drive and then got whooped uh, and then never really bounced back from that until sort of later on in the season. I think that was the game everyone thought, all right, the Ticats we all expected were going to show up. And it was the Argonauts that kind of reminded everybody like, hey, we didn't get here by a fluke, everyone. And by the way. The uh, the East final is going to come here through Toronto. All that being said, though, um, the Ticats are one win away. And I think from a bomber perspective, I mean, you have to know that playing a team with that much of a chip on a shoulder that just lost to you in pretty decisive fashion in the last championship game with the opportunity to do it at home certainly makes for a more interesting great cup week. And uh, I think that certainly would be the toughest out for the Winnipeg blue bombers, assuming they can get past the riders. Yeah, I would think so, but they did lose to the Argos, right? Like the Argos beat Mind you, it was with Nick you Arbuckle. Arbuckle's quarterback. Gonna start again? No, that's the thing. Bring Arbuckle back out and see what he can do. He's the one who legitimately beat him. That was, I called that game. That was the one Argos game that I did. And they actually, they actually won that one. But uh, yeah, you know, it's an interesting, it, it would be an interesting case here for Hamilton. If they can beat Toronto, and they have the great cup at home, but they would go in as an underdog. You know, like the pressure, the pressure to win a great cup at home is still there. But how many people would actually be expecting you to do it if it is against the Bombers and they're this team that has basically rolled over everybody so far this season? I think that makes it sort of a, like, could it be a case where the home team in the great cup is this sort of Cinderella story all of a sudden, even though they, you know, they were expected by many to be where they are at the beginning of the year? I think it's a little bit of a different vibe than than we would have thought at the beginning of the year, even if it was Hamilton and Winnipeg uh, that people were picking to get to the Grey Cup. I think it, the, the storyline and how they got there kind of changes the way that we would view the expectations for them coming into that game. With that being said, I mean, in Hamilton, to really get the Ticats against either the Bombers or the Riders from a fan base perspective, and that's a dream for the Canadian Football League. Yeah, well, and I'll tell you what, I think it's going to be a dream for the Canadian Football League to see what IG Field looks like on Sunday. Uh, basically pushing 30,000 tickets right now. I imagine they'll continue to sell them despite the fact that it's in December, the latest game that's ever been played at this stadium, probably in Winnipeg, just considering the schedule. The Great Cup's usually <laughs> done at the end of November. Um, but... You know, I think the league needs the visual of what we're going to see right now, especially coming off last week. You were in Mosaic. I'll be honest. I was stunned, stunned to see how many empty seats there were there. What were people saying around there? And how concerning was that to, you know, sort of the CFL people around that, that of all places, Saskatchewan, where that team is an absolute religion, was so empty for a freaking playoff game. It was a little surprising, man. Like I was pretty hyped to get in there and call that game. And then it ended up being an entertaining game. And the crowd that was there, they were awesome. I mean, people were certainly fired up. But um, I was looking around probably like 20 minutes before kickoff. And the lower bowl was filling up pretty good. But the upper bowl, there was one section where there was nobody there. And I said, man, that seems kind of weird. Like, what's good? It was a beautiful day. Uh, so it wasn't like weather concerns were keep, keeping people home. And it should have, I mean, 
you would have thought that was going to be a great football game. Like that's a football game that you would have wanted to attend. So they hate I know, Levi I, Mitchell too. Yeah, he's like well, yeah, enemy I mean, number one. Do you want to go there just to chirp that guy? Sure, why not? Um, he never started a playoff game against the Riders, let alone one at Mosaic. We can actually get into his head a little bit. Um, so you know, I see a lot of you know people want to hop on board and just go, oh yeah, CFL major issues, major issues, major issues. Um, I don't think that's a CFL issue because. If you look around, the Edmonton Oilers have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and are 85% announced attendance. I've been there. They're getting like 13,000, 14,000 people for Oilers home games with two of the greatest players to ever play together. So it's a Canadian sports thing right now. Uh, with that being said, I mean, if anybody was going to be an exception to the rule, it would be the fans in Regina. So, you know, it wasn't the case. But I think, I mean, the biggest issue is still, you know, COVID and vaccine to get in and, uh, Saskatchewan, I believe, and if I'm wrong, I apologize for this, but I believe it's the least vaccinated of all the provinces. So, I mean, if if 10 to 15 or 20 percent or whatever the number is, pick any number, if they're not vaccinated and they can't get into the game, well, then all of a sudden your crowd, you know, just on percentages is going to be 10, 15 percent lighter. So uh, it's not an ideal situation. I would have loved to have seen it jam packed. I'm sure it will be jam packed again, you know, in the future over the next two or three years. But it was a little disappointing for sure. Hey, um, uh, before we go, uh, interesting matchup tonight. You got the Sidney Crosby and the Penguins going up against McDavid. And it's so funny. I was listening to some of your show today and, you know, hey, it's Crosby versus McDavid, Crosby versus McDavid. And even Crosby himself going, I, I, we might not want to forget about the guy that's uh, leading the league in goals and scoring. I mean, Leon Dreisaitl continues to be sometimes an afterthought in these conversations. And uh, for everything that Connor McDavid's doing night in and night out, Dreisaitl continues to be maybe the most dangerous player on the ice every time he's out there. It's an interesting conversation to have with these elite guys because you're right. I mean, I'm sitting here in the market. It's like McDavid, Crosby, McDavid, Crosby. I'm like, are we forgetting about Leon Dreisaitl? Like, he's won everything that these other guys have won. I mean, outside of the Cups, obviously. But if you look at it, I'd still say Connor McDavid is the best player in the league. But I would say that Leon Dreisaitl has been the best player in the league so far this season. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, his numbers are all better than Connor McDavid's numbers. And then I was just talking about it. Well, on the oil stream with Gazola. And I think if you actually voted for a heart trophy today, Ovechkin might win it because you got McDavid and dry settle right there. And Ovechkin sandwiched right in between them by himself. So he would probably get the vote for the heart trophy. So you've got McDavid, who's the best player, dry who's been the best player and Ovechkin, who's probably the most valuable right now. And that's a, I don't know if Ovi will keep it up. His start's been absolutely insane for a guy who's 36 to be in that same atmosphere as those two guys. But, uh, yeah, it's a fun discussion to have. There's no doubt about that. Speaking of Ovi, I got to mention this, and I was going to do this at the start, but we were all rattled because we had an internet issue and we were talking jets <laughs> and stuff. But last night, um, I was uh, meeting a friend at a place with Center Ice, and we turned on that Caps Florida game. And speaking of empty seats, let's face it, there was plenty of them down in South Florida, yeah. but we're used to it. But Florida down 4-1 going into the third period. It rattles off four in a row. Pretty amazing what this team's done. I mean, with everything they've been through, losing head coach Joel Quenville and not They're missing good. a beat right now. And uh, it's unfortunate. They don't even have Barkoff right now, right? Like, Barkoff's still working his way back. Like, well, exactly. I mean, like, this team is just so dangerous. And it's sad that more people actually aren't paying attention to it down in South Florida right now. But, I mean, that division, we all know what Tampa is. I mean, to me, Carolina and Florida, two of the best teams in the league. Um, uh, And, as I said... 
We've, you know, we've, a lot, we've often talked about, you know, the Central Division, well, the Pacific Division isn't, you know, whatever. I mean, certainly I think it's better than a lot of people thought. But that division right now with those three teams, including the two-time defending Stanley Cup champs, I mean, you better finish first because just like we said last year, that 2-3 yep. game right off the bat, there's going to be an elite team bounced in seven games in the playoffs. Weren't the shots in that third period 26-2? to two? Yeah. I think they were 26-2. to two. 26 to two in a in a third period. I mean, that was that's insane. But yeah, there is some we were talking about it this morning on my show. Like the Edmonton Oilers and the Florida Panthers have the best winning percentage in the league right now at 750. And I said I I I comfortably think the Oilers are a top 10 team in the league. I don't think they're the best team. I don't think they're a top 2 team in the league. I think they're a top 10 team in the league because you look at, you know, even what Washington, Carolina, Florida, I mean, these teams all look to be on a little bit of a different level than a lot of the other elites or teams that we would describe as elite in the National Hockey League. So it's uh, it's a treat over there out on the southeast part of uh, the United States. they got some pretty good hockey teams right now. Yeah, well, everyone's here freaking out. I think Stuart Skinner broke the Jets. You know, we go back to two Thursdays <laughs> ago. They had, what, 40-some shots. 47 they shots. Stewie Skins. Yeah. McDavid does his magic, puts the game to OT, well, takes a penalty. The power play fizzled out then and it hasn't recovered. And the Jets basically haven't been able to score ever since that game. I'm sitting here listening to you guys before I come on. And all I can think of is I got to be that guy who comes on here today and says, calm down, everybody. Calm down. Shifley's going to be okay. Everybody's going to be okay. Weren't they in first place like 10 days ago in the uh, division? Yeah, like, two weeks ago. So I still think they're a really good hockey team. I, I'd still look if Shifley doesn't, do what he did in the playoffs last year. They're advancing to the conference final. They're beating Montreal. If that doesn't happen, what happened last year? So just relax. They fixed up the blue line. Things are going to come back around. Things work in waves right now. The Oilers are somehow still winning games. They've got three American League defensemen playing tonight against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And they haven't had the number one goalie. Like, things... It's going to be fine. I've been a longtime supporter of the Jets. I can't go crazy just yet. The only way this guy could get more popular in Winnipeg was <laughs> dropping that take to finish things <laughs> off. Uh, of course, we'll get after it tomorrow, a Thursday edition of the Lock Shop beforehand. Make sure people check that out. We have a lot of fun. We'll get ready for the National Football League. And uh, have a great weekend out east. We'll look forward to the broadcast and your call at the East Final. And then, uh, of course, you're going to be busy. Great Cup Week as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be doing the uh, the radio call for Grey Cup. So I'll be back out there in uh, in Hamilton getting ready for uh, getting ready to call the uh, the Grey Cup on radio stations across the country, but not in Winnipeg. Probably I not guess. in Winnipeg. So, yeah, they don't. That, that's yeah. not, not an issue yeah. anymore. Well, you have to stream Stinks. it online, I guess. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no doubt. Hey, thanks yeah. for doing this. We'll talk to you tomorrow on the lock shop. All right. See you later, man. Give him a follow at Nielsen TSN 1260. That is Dustin Nielsen. Of course, uh, just an amazing call of that Ryder Stamps game on Sunday. Not a bad way to get his feet wet calling professional playoff football in the Canadian Football League. All right. Uh, speaking of football, uh, cheers to our friends at Canadian Club. And there'll be plenty of cheersing, hopefully cheersing the Bombers with some Canadian Club going to the Grey Cup on Sunday at IG Field. Of course, kickoff is 3 p.m. Tickets are going strong, pushing over 30,000 seats. And uh, I imagine many of those 30,000 will be taking advantage of the fact that Canadian Club is available throughout IG Field, along with Brugal Rum, Northern Keep Vodka, and of course, Jim Beam. 
over at that Jim Beam Stillhouse in the north. And uh, you can pick up the Great Taste of Canadian Club at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts. And WST listeners and viewers, make sure to join us on YouTube, usually just after 2.30 on Friday afternoon. Another marble race coming up. Maybe a special marble race with the big game on the weekend. We'll see if we can get into the tickle trunk for another I Love Rye package, and we will have another Winnipeg Sports Talk Canadian Club co-branded hoodie for our winner of the marbles on a Friday. Big thanks to Dusty again for joining us on the program. Um, of course, Dusty and I, sponsored by CoolBet for the Lock Shop, we will dive into and hopefully bounce back from certainly personally some terrible NFL picks last week. The only game that I really got right was Lamar Jackson, who, much like Cody Fajardo, somehow threw four picks, won the game, and covered the spread. I think that has a lot to do with what is up with Baker Mayfield. But cool bet lines for tonight. Flyers and Rangers. Rangers right now, I've had a great start to the season, uh, pushing plus 700 when it comes to their points percentage. They're minus 185 against the Philadelphia Flyers. The Kraken are in Detroit to take on the Red Wings. Red Wings, a very slight home favorite, uh, minus 115. Kraken at minus 102. A battle of Canadian Titans right now, Canucks and Senators. The Canucks, after that win in Montreal, they are a slight minus 120 favorite. See if the Sens can get it back going at home. Plus 102 as a very slight home underdog. A great game tonight between the Avalanche and Maple Leafs. That one actually should be quite a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Avalanche had been really hot after somewhat of a slow start. Leafs, same boat. Uh, Abs just over a plus money, plus 103. Leafs, minus 120 at home. Uh, Pacific Division battle between the Golden Knights and Ducks. Ducks got one over on the Kings last night. They're at home again, plus 137. Vegas with the extra rest at minus 161. And the game we just talked about with Dustin Nielsen, the Pittsburgh Penguins, plus 105 on the road against the home favorite Edmonton Oilers, minus 123. Uh, But... As Dustin just mentioned, half of the uh, Bakersfield Condors defense is uh, in the lineup tonight. No Darnell Nurse, no Duncan Keith. Going to be a tough, uh, tough challenge for the uh, the Oiler blue line. But, you know, with players like McDavid and Dreisaitl, as we mentioned, you know that they're going to get their fair share of goals. Of course, check out Cool Bet Canada for all of the odds on your favorite games. And if you haven't played there before, use the promo code WST for a 100% bonus on your first deposit up to $200. Quickly, I'll mention Cowboys still four and a half point favorites against the New uh, New Orleans Saints for Thursday night football. We hit that one on yesterday's edition of the Lock Shop. And a quick update on the lines for the Canadian Football League East and West final. The game Dusty will be calling Hamilton at Toronto. Toronto, a one point favorite at home. And the Bombers opened up yesterday at seven, immediately got on that at seven. It went up to eight. It's now sort of settled at seven and a half for the Bombers. Still amazed that that's not closer to 10, but not complaining. We'll take it on the Bombers side of things again. All of that stuff there at coolbet.com. Let's get Remus back in here. And uh, Remo, lots of fun talking to Dusty. Of course, Marat. His game tonight between uh, Pittsburgh and Edmonton is going to be really interesting. We saw what Pittsburgh was able to do at least in the second half of the game against the Jets last week. And uh, Oilers really taxed on that blue line right now. Yeah, Pittsburgh is seemingly on this never-ending road trip. Um, They were here before, and uh, Calgary, 
I think Toronto, sorry, us, Toronto. So uh, here they are playing against uh, Edmonton. You got two marquee matchups of, uh, you know, great players in the league. You got Matthews, McKinnon in, uh, with Toronto, Colorado, and McDavid, uh, Crosby with the Edmonton uh, Penguins matchup. So I'm actually looking forward to those two games tonight. I don't know if you saw this. Speaking of the Penguins, I don't know if you saw this tonight. Um, well, yesterday they were sold for like $900 million to the um, the Fenway Sports Group. So that's making the news. But also today, as they tweeted out, they're bringing back the black jerseys with the diagonal Pittsburgh text. And that is a big win for me in my books. What's the first thing you think of when you see that jersey? Well, Snoop Dogg. Yeah, the gin and juice video. Yes. <laughs> Rolling but, down the street, no. smoking and oh, sipping on gin and juice. Now everyone oh in the chat God. go, laid back. <laughs> oh, my God. But I was not thinking of Mario Mew and Yarma Yager, like, scoring goals in those jerseys. But you think of uh, Snoop Dogg and, uh, <laughs> and the gin and juice video. But here's here's their, their reveal. You want to see their reveal? We, I do love Let's covering do the jerseys. In this channel here, so here they are. Look how look how awesome these are. Oh baby, those coming are sharp. So, coming soon. There's Crosby holding it up. Oh yeah, those are how nice are those? The with, bullet. There we go. With my mind on my money and my money on my mind. He knows what I'm talking about. We need, we need more rapping from from Hustler in the chat. Go go Hus. So yeah, they are rocking those jerseys again. So I just needed to bring that up. No, that is uh, excellent. We're always here for a little uniform chatter here on uh, day. And by the way, speaking of uniform chatter, I think the Jets need to. I don't know whether they're wearing the uh, the Heritage jerseys again on the weekend, but I hope they are, uh, because I have had a couple people point out to me that when they went back to the regular jerseys, that's when this losing streak started. So um, maybe it's time to change it up. Get those other things. Just get some other things different right now. Uh, of course, tomorrow there will be, I presume, a full team practice probably working on some special teams and a few other things in advance of the Friday game against the New Jersey Devils. We'll have much more on that. Ken Weeb's going to join us on the show tomorrow, uh, and we'll continue to discuss the Jets looking to snap this slump going into the weekend with home games against the Devils on Friday and then a big tilt on Sunday night with Blake, Captain Blake Wheeler playing his 1,000th game. Of course, that game at 7 o'clock moved back an hour to accommodate an earlier Western Conference final between the Bombers and Riders. So uh, many fans, myself included, can do a little double dip, getting out to IG Field at 3 o'clock, and then uh, hopefully tipping a few, congratulating the Bombers, tell them off to Hamilton, and then uh, get down to Canada Life Centre for a big game between the Jets and the uh, visit from the Toronto Maple Leafs. I wanted to thank everyone for joining us on YouTube, especially the folks that uh, maybe put up with a few technical issues earlier on. Uh, somehow things just fix themselves, so we won't complain. We will take it. Uh, but definitely want to thank all of our sponsors, including our newest sponsor, Andrew and the gang over at F Apparel. That's EPH Apparel. Check them out online at fapparel.com. Uh, our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Little Brown Jug Brewing, celebrating five years in the biz here in the peg. Not Auto Corp, Royal Sports, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, and of course, Canadian Club Whiskey and Cool Bet Canada. Folks, take it easy tonight. Enjoy the games and everything going on. I know Kabilis and a few of us might be watching a little AEW with an off night for the Winnipeg Jets. And then back at it tomorrow, Ken Weeble will join the program. We'll have the latest on the team after practice getting ready for New Jersey. 
heading into the weekend. And of course, more on the Bombers as they prepare for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders 3 p.m. Get your tickets if you don't have them already. I hope to see you all at IG Field on Sunday afternoon. For Michael Remus, I'm Andrew Patterson. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow at 1 o'clock on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.